0: Our statement of faith, this is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The scripture that I read you your hearing for where we've been for the last uh, four weeks, including today, is John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. The Bible says this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We're going to talk about that today. And that believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is going to be our fourth sermon in this series that we've entitled, Just Jesus, the Protagonist. And I said that it's my goal to take a look at what the Apostle John's recorded based upon Jesus' own words. And he revealed to us through his writing that Jesus is the central figure in our Christian faith. You know, the good news of the gospel is all about Jesus. So we say his name even indicate that, he's called the uh, anointed one or the Messiah. And so looking at him as a protagonist, we recognize that he is the principal or main character in the story that we're dealing with. In our story of life, Jesus should be the principal or main character. He should be the one that helps us to make the decisions that we make, and he should be the one that influenced the plot of our life. Because we belong to him and we're with him, then as the protagonist, he affects the plot, primarily influencing the story and propelling it forward. But you know, the protagonist has often faced the most significant obstacles in the story. And, and, and the figures or person that put up that opposition, I said to you, it's called the antagonist. And we're going to see today that Jesus always had antagonistic people that would come against him. Now, the second definition of being a protagonist is unlike because I will hope you could apply it to yourself in some way. It says he is the or she is the advocate, the leader or champion of a particular cause or situation or particular idea. And so I asked you last week, in your life, have you ever played the protagonist? Have you ever been an advocate for someone? Have you ever been the leader of a particular idea or a particular cause? Have you ever championed anything? And if you have, you are the protagonist. You are the star of your story. But now we play that role secondary to our role when it comes to Jesus. But each one of you should be the star of your story. And how you're living your life is telling how your story is being played out. And if you are the star of your story, you ought to be making decisions and you ought to be influencing the outcome of your life. Because if you depend on Jesus, he is leading you and guiding you through your story in life. As you live it out, you ought to be advocating for certain things that you know is in your heart. You ought to be leading certain things. You ought to be the champion. of. If nothing else, you ought to be the champion of your own life. Don't let nobody else champion your life. Because at the end, you can't blame nobody. You're the star of your life, but you're following the star of all. And so take responsibility for your role as the protagonist. Amen? Now, last week, we looked at, you know, Jesus playing the role of an advocate as he advocated, advocated for the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. We all know the story, so I won't go over that much. But the key thing he, we got out of that is that he revealed this universality of sin, that all have sin and come short of the glory of God. You know, when they wanted to stone her, he just asked a simple question. Those of you that's without, the, you know, without sin, cast the first stone. And we saw in the story, everybody dropped the rocks and went home. Because they know that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He didn't condone the woman's sin, nor did he condemn her. But he did tell her to go and sin no more. And then at the end of that, he told them them that to the crowd, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you have the light that leads to life. We should be following the light of the world. And if we follow him as the light of the world and the light of our lives, then we should not live a life in darkness. You know, the Bible said you won't have to. You might, but you won't have to. So let me believe that if you are living in a, a life in darkness, it's because you Because you want to. Now, chapter 9 is all about Jesus' miraculous healing a man who had been blind from birth. You know, if you know the story, he kind of took some clay, spit on it, put it in the guy's eye, told him to go and wash, and he came back healed. Now, once he was healed, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you know, questioned him. You know, did this man truly do this to you? And they got to the point that because the man said that Jesus healed him, they excommunicated him from the church. They even went to his parents and tried to get his parents to say, Hey, was your son really born blind? Did this man really heal him? And the parents say, Look, he's old enough. Go ahead on after that. <laughs> he's old enough to talk for himself. He can speak for himself. In other words, at some point in time, your children got to get older. To where they can speak, you shouldn't have to answer everything for them. They got to get old enough where they can. When certain things happen in their life, they don't need to come back and say, hey, verify it through you. They ought to be able to verify it through you. They got to learn how to speak for themselves. And so, as a result of that, the Pharisees and the religious leaders continued to plot how they could kill Jesus because their main concern was. They wanted to stop the spreading of the gospel. And so in chapter 10, Jesus began with an illustration of a sheepfold that must be entered through the gate or the door, some of your Bibles may say. And in this illustration, Jesus identified himself as the gate, as the good shepherd, and at the end, he talks about being the son of God. Now, the entire passage calls to mind the imagery of Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Castigated the false shepherds of Israel, in other words, their religious leader, and predicted that the true shepherd, the Messiah, would come and provide God's people, the sheep, with genuine care and leadership. Now get this, the Pharisees considered shepherds members of an unclean profession, and the aristocrats despised the shepherds and saw them as being vulgar and low-class workers. Therefore, Jesus' opponents, as he's speaking this little parable, would not readily identify with the protagonists of this story. See, it's hard for you to identify with something if you look down on it. You don't think that. You, you know, when people look down on you, and they got a low opinion of you, and they've already put you in this earth. Just, it's just hard for them to identify with you. It's hard for people to identify with what you're going through if they ain't never been through it. They don't know anything about you. But when you know something about somebody and you don't spend some time with them, you can identify with what they're going. And so Jesus put himself as this shepherd and the gate. But you got to see in this story, you're the sheep. And there's an entryway that you got to get to and fro when it comes to going in the sheepfold. And the one who controls entry is the one who gives you access to the fold. But that access is also Cliff giving you access to God and heaven. And so Jesus said, look, I got control of both of these things. I can sit at the gate and control who come and go. And I can be the good shepherd to take care of whoever come and whoever Let me just read this. I'm in chapter 10, verse 6. He says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. You know, anytime you don't understand something in the Bible, just keep reading. Normally, if you keep reading, the Bible will explain itself. So Jesus said that they didn't understand this, so he explained it to them. Verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. In other words, I'm the one who provide access. They go in and come out. Now, you got to understand about somebody's sheep. At night, you know, the shepherds used to bring the sheep and put them in a fold. And, and when they put them in the fold, you know, one shepherd, or someone had to lay at the gate so that nobody could come in. And normally there was a wall around the fold and, you know, they put thorns and stuff up there so wolves and you know, other animals couldn't get in. And so that shepherd was the most important person because he controlled who come in. And he kept the wolves you need a good shepherd in your life. Somebody that can keep the wolves out. Because as long as you live in this life, that going not be... And so his job is to protect you, provide for you, and also to make sure that you have peace in this life. You know, when you study the 23rd Psalm, you know, if I got a good shepherd... I have everything that I need. I don't want for... And you know, when the sheep go in and out, he's the one that take them to where the grass is. They ain't got sense enough to find it for themselves. It takes him to lead them to the green. And a good shepherd won't lead them to a dry land. And so when I'm trying to get you to see in this story as the sheep, you got to be able to recognize the good shepherd. Because if you don't, you could be deceived by the wolf, the thief, or the robber. Let me just go ahead and finish reading this. I got ahead of myself. He says, now, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 8 says, all who come before me were thieves and robbers. Anybody who came and said that they was the Christ or the anointed one before me, they were lying. In fact, he said they were thieves robber. You know, Cliff, there's the difference between the two. You know, a, a thief working in the stealth mode. Thieves don't want no confrontation. They come into your house when you ain't at home. They normally operate at night in the dark. They don't want no confrontation. You got to know when you're dealing with a thief. You got to be discerning enough to know that a thief ain't gonna just come at you and overtake you. He's gonna try to deceive you and manipulate you. You got to know when you're dealing with a thief. Then he said, "The other's gonna be robbers. A robbers don't care whether you're at home or not. In fact, a robber a mug you in broad. You know they used to have a term in the hood to say sometimes dude pull what they call strong arm robber. They just walk up to you, and hit you with the pistol, and take." He says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the, true shepherd, but the true sheep, excuse me, did not listen to them. So who are you listening to? If you are a true sheep, you should not be listening to thieves and robbers. See, you can't listen to everybody out there on that internet, on the web. You can't follow every blog. Because some of them are thieves. And robbers, there are a lot of them like thieves because you don't see them, they're operating in the stealth mode and they just be typing stuff, putting stuff out there and you don't even know who you following but you just believe what you don't see on a little picture over here and bam, a thief then got in. You know thieves are stealing folks' whole bank accounts now. Because people are not discerning enough to know when they're dealing with a He says now, in verse 9, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. I am the way. That's what he said in 14, six of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by... Here he says, I am the gate, but he means the same thing. If you're going to get to God, you got to come through this gate. There may be many other gates out there but they don't lead to God. In order to get to God, you got to come through. There's some false gates out there and people going through them because they just don't. And see, when you're ignorant, you just make mistakes because you just don't. That's why you got to get taught this Bible. You got to know what the Bible is saying. Got to have a Holy Spirit living on the inside of you so you can discern when the wolf is talking to you, when the thief is dealing with you. And you got to be able to discern so you don't put yourself in a position so somebody can strong arm you know that's a bad neighborhood you ain't got no business down there and now you don't got strong arm Rob. called gone who led you there did the good shepherd send you there did the good shepherd take you there Or were you following someone else or something else instead of the the good shepherd? He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will go in and go, go, will come and go freely and they will find good pastors. So Jesus wants you to live a good life and you want you to have good pastors. You ought to be a blessed person because you know Jesus. You ought to be a blessed person because you are his sheep. He's going to lead you to the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me in a certain way. He takes me where the green pastures are. He leaves me where I steal water. He know that I'm kind of timid at times and I can't stand a lot of noise. So he ain't going to put me in no position where I'm going to be frustrated and out of my mind because there's too much noise. Some of y'all need to get Connected with the good shepherds, so you can get some of the noise out of your life. You got too much. You running around too much running water when you should be next to still water give you some peace. Amen. The sheep understood that because they know if they ever got caught up in some running water, they couldn't swim. The wool was gonna weigh them down. They're gonna. So they needed a shepherd, and he need, they need to be led to a place of still waters. Now look at verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He going to steal from you? All he can't steal, he going to kill? And then everything left, he going to destroy? You, you know, there are things in your life that may be stealing from you. You need to know that. There's some things in your life that may be killing your aspiration. You need to know that. There's some things that may be destroying who you are. All because you don't know who you're connected to as who's the shepherd of your life. But you got to understand the thief got a spe- specific purpose. He says, look, he come to kill, to steal he come to steal and to kill and to But Jesus said, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some of your Bibles say "You come that you may live life abundantly. You may have life and have life more of. In other words, now he ain't just talking about riches, because obviously we're living pretty good and all of us don't classify our own. You know, I didn't make the four or five hundred or four hundred. You know, so I wouldn't be considered rich. But I believe the good shepherd got me living a good I'm living to satisfy. I'm not chasing after everything everybody else got because I got a good shepherd. He know what I need. And long as he meet my need, I'm satisfied. See, sometimes you get unsatisfied with the shepherd because you think you got a need that go unmet, but he's already meeting your need. You just need to learn how to be satisfied with the shepherd as he meets your need, I'm not telling you to be complacent and not have aspiration to go places because the shepherd wants the best for you. But he wants you to also have your needs met when it comes to peace in your life, when it comes to joy in your life, when it comes to love in your life. He wants all your life to be fulfilled, and he wants you to live to the fullest extent. And also, he do want you to be successful. Amen. He don't have no problem with you being prosperous and successful in everything that you do. Because as long as you give him the glory, you represent him anyway. Now look at this. So, his come is to satisfy our lives. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrificed his life for the sheep. You know, it's my job as a good shepherd, he's saying, i got to feed them, i got to guard them, and i got to protect them. But if it comes down to a cliff, i got to lay across that gate and don't let nobody get to them. And if it means i got to give my life for them, I'm prepared to do that. And he's saying, now look here, you got to make that distinction because everybody is not a good. And now in this passage, he's talking about Jesus. He ain't talking about pastors. We're considered under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are just under shepherds. So what I'm trying to say is that He ain't put bold in there and say, "Bold, is gonna lay down," because I ain't sure I might do that for you. I'm not the shepherd. I'm just being real. I ain't sure. I ain't sure. I ain't sure. You know, Adrian, I ain't sure if, if you know I would jump in front of the bullet. Rob better be there. But Jesus. <laughs> who is the good shepherd. Now I would hope that something would come over me if you were in that predicament and i pull you out in front of the car but I ain't sure I'm going to run out there and let the car hit me and so y'all need to make sure you follow the one who's willing to die for you I'm glad I'm the under shepherd in this story amen (laughs) Because Jesus is the good shepherd and he's the one who died. He said, I'll sacrifice my life for the sheep. This is what what he called the other who come in and perpetrate. He says, a hired hand will run when he see a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolves. The wolf attacks them and scatters. When the wolf come in your life, he got two goals. You know, he, yeah, he gonna attack you. You know, if you're married, the wolf gonna come. He just comes. He come to all relationships. The wolf just comes, and you gotta recognize when the wolf come at your family, because when he come, he gonna attack your marriage, and then he gonna scatter your. y'all better hit me today. The wolf can show up anywhere, anytime, but his MO is going to be the same. He's going to come and start launching attacks at you and then the intent is going to be the the wolf is attacking right now during this time of COVID. He's scattering Christians now where they are no longer doing the things they need to be doing. They'll find themselves isolated, thinking I can do this by mine. God never intended for you to be by your That's why he used the analogy of a, you know, sheep. Sheep are kind of herded together. And see, when they're together, it's either to protect them or when they wander off by them, they don't know still water from running water. They will end up in the wolf's territory because they done got separated. Oh, Lord, help me right here. I don't know why I use marriage as this analogy, but you know, when you've been separated from your husband or your wife too long. Too long. It's a possibility that there's a wolf on the prowl. Because he come to kill still and to uh, so what make you think he ain't trying to destroy your marriage, Destroy your family. That's his. But he says now the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The flock is stronger and better when they are together than they are apart. Now look what he says this. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care. About the sheep. (laughs) You know, I hear people say this all the time in leadership conferences, things like this. You know, it's up to you, but sometimes money is people's motivator. And sometimes money can be a bad motivator. Because sometimes you can chase money and get it but in turn destroy your right, your, your family, destroy your life, all because you're running out of bad. I tell people, do things because you love doing it, not because you get paid. Because if you love doing it, then the pay is not a big issue for you. But if you don't love doing it, and you're doing it, then it's only about... He says, now... The hired hand don't know them, don't care about them. But then he goes to 14 and talks about relationship again. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Now, when I start studying, you know, they say sometimes you got a little small flock of sheep. At night, they, they put them all in one big pen. Then one of the shepherds lay across the gate. But then in the morning when it's time to get out, they don't put no name tags on them or nothing. All that shepherd do is go out there and say, and all the ones that belong to him start moving. They don't have to go, let me tag mine before we go in tonight. Let me put a tag on this so I know, so so mine don't get mixed up with yours. But I know them, and they know me, and another one they will not. <laughs> All because they, because they know me. And he said, just know he talk about not just a head knowledge, but an intimate relationship with the fact that they know and understand. You know, I smell like sheep. That's what he's saying. Now, you know, if you're a shepherd, how can you be a shepherd and you don't even smell? You got a whole different scent. From the sheep. But he said a good shepherd. Supposed to cliff smell. Say I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. And they know me. Just as my father knows me. And I know the father. So I sacrifice my life. For the sheep. And then he goes down here and let us know that. This fold that he was talking to in Israel. Was not the only sheep foal that he was concerned about. He says I have other sheep that's us, two that are not in this sheepfold, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus being the chief shepherd, one flock with one shepherd. And so therefore the Gentiles and the Jews came together and made what we follow now, called Christianity, or following Jesus, followers of Christ, whatever we want to call ourselves. He's saying, look, some of them are going to come out of Judaism, which was the fold that I was dealing with at first. Then there are going to be some others out there that's in a whole different fold altogether. But when they come together, they're going to be one. And they got to be one because me and the Father is one. That, that, you know, it's an oxymoron for the church to be divided serving the same Jesus, but we can't agree on Scripture. It just don't make no sense If we got the true shepherd, and we know him, and he know us, know that we're intimate relationship with him, then look like he ought to be telling us the same thing sometimes. Cliffy, look, we shouldn't have a hundred different messages coming from the one shepherd. We're all one body, but we're made up of many parts, but we still belong to one shepherd. And so after Jesus had that little dialogue with them, he let them know that, hey, look, I'm going to give my life, but they ain't, you know, they ain't taking it. Don't get this thing twisted. They ain't taking my life. I'm going to willingly and freely lay it down, and then I have the authority to take it up. A, take it up again. And, you know, as Jesus was talking, he started to transition. And, you know, some of the people started to come against him and say, man, this guy's crazy. He, he done lost his mind. And then the other ones got divided and said, well, no, he can't be crazy because, you know, a, you know a, a devil-filled man or a demon-possessed man can't do what he did. See, a demon-possessed man could not heal this blind man who had been blind all his life. That, that got, so there was some division among the people. And Jesus went on, and as he went on, he came to the temple. And as he was in the temple, he went back over that analogy about the sheep again and said, hey, look. I got a set of sheep out there. They know me, and I know them. And another, they won't follow. Then he came back and said, look, they have been put in my father's hand. And because they're in his hand, nobody can snatch them out because my father is stronger than anybody that's going to try to snatch him out. Now when he started talking about God being his father and him being God's son, then he said something that really set him off. when he said, me and my father are one. What? Y'all, what? You standing out here with us and you talking about you one with God? Man, you, you, you're on the verge of blasphemy now because you're comparing yourself and calling yourself God. Jesus said, look, when you see me, you see the Father. When you read this book and you read what's in red and you read about me, you will see in, the, in essence we are the same. And so therefore they had a problem when he compared himself and called himself God. So we got to understand that there's a oneness between God and Jesus. And Jesus prayed that we will have that same one. In other words, Cliff, when I see you, I ought to see Jesus. Latham, when I see you, I ought to see. Adrian, when I see you, I ought to see. When people see me, they ought to see because we have that oneness, we're in relationship with one another, and the things that I do represent Him, and the things that you do represent Him. And when people see you, they don't have to hear you, they can just see you. So, when Jesus made that bold assertion, that started another argument with Him and those religious leaders. We call those the antagonists, the people who just would not accept their role. As you just you know, stop attacking the star. You ain't gonna you ain't gonna get him till this time, Cliff. That's a time for you to get him. So you're just tagging him now. You ain't gonna get him now. But at the same time, they gotta play that role, I guess. Somebody gonna always be out there on the other side of whatever you're trying to get to. And you can't get frustrated because you have some antagonistic people in your. you got to know your call, your purpose, and what you're supposed to be doing. And you got to know who you heard from and who you belong to and who's been talking to your heart so that antagonistic people don't keep you from fulfilling what you're supposed to be. I'm going to skip down to verse 31 in the same chapter, and I'm almost done with this. Look what he says. He says, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. This sounded kind of like a repeat from last week. Anytime Jesus said something to get on their nerve, and he hit them, in the, you know, hit them in the gut with a punch that they couldn't handle, they wanted to throw. And I told you last week, man, we don't need to be like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and all these other seas. Put your rocks down. Man, why are you throwing rocks? You're throwing rocks at your family member. I can see if you were throwing rocks at the devil, Brother Rob, but we throw rocks at each. These were religious people who should have understood what Jesus was saying and what instead of understanding him, they heard him, but they didn't understand him, so their result was to pick up some. You know, I was thinking about that. Say, how did that fit today? You know, back in the old days, we used to throw rocks too. Then we got from Thornham, we had slang shots. The rock. But you know now, slang shots ain't in no more. So if these guys were here today, they probably wouldn't have got their nine meals on Jesus. Say, so we, we ain't gonna go get no rock. We're gonna go on over here we're gonna go on get the we gonna go get the nine meals because we're gonna take this dude out. You know, he, he just another man. We just gonna take him. And see, what you got to understand is that yes, that was a time. But until God said it was time, it don't make no difference what they did. It was not going to come to pass. So look at this. In verse 31 it says, once again the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, now look now, now, now Jesus asked them a significant question. At my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? Why you got the rock in your hand, are you, going, are you going to stone me because I healed the blind man? Are you going to stone me because I healed the guy who had been lame for thirty-eight long years? Are you going to stone me because I fed the 5,000? Are you going to stone me because I turned the water into wine? Are you going to stone me because I healed the ruler's daughter and I raised the dead? Oh, which, which one? Just people, which one of these good deeds? You know it's bad when people want to destroy you for doing good. It's one thing to be destroyed for doing bad, but sometimes people want to destroy you for doing for doing good. So Jesus appealed to them and said, which one are you going to stone me for? Then look what they replied. They replied, we are stoning you not for any good deeds or good works, but for blasphemy. You are a mere man and you claim, good God almighty. we mad at you because now you think you're God. And now look at this. When Jesus answered him, he didn't deny. It. He didn't say, Well, you, you know, well, like, you know, that ain't what I meant when I said me and the Father are one. That ain't what I meant. I meant something else. Y'all took it the wrong way. Y'all misinterpreted what I said. I misspoke. No. See, you got to mean what you say. If you don't mean what you say, don't say it. But if you mean what you say and you're saying the truth, when they come at you the next time, you're going to say, hey, I ain't going to deny that. Because I cannot deny the truth. I can't deny the truth. I can't lie to you to please you and then offend my father because I understand where lies come from. They don't come from him. He said, you're a mere man and you claim to be God. Verse 34, Jesus replied. And he used a, a quote from Psalms 82, 6. And you know, I done heard rappers use this. You know, I think one of them rappers, they call themselves God. They say, you know, we gods, we all gods. And they, they get it from this scripture right here. Because it does have God in there. But it's little g. Little g-o-d. And so what he's saying, your own scripture called men God. I'm gonna use your own scripture. Can we read them together, Cliff? Your own book. Right here said, God called men gods. Now look at this. He says, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are your God. In other words, because they had authority to judge situations, they were leaders in that capacity, they acted on behalf of God when they made decisions in the earth. And now Jesus said, now look, if you all will recognize a man who got sin in their life, a man who have done wrong, and you can recognize them as God, then how in the world are you going to come against when the Father sent me? You, your scripture say you can recognize certain men as and now you get mad because I say I am, I am God and me and no God are one. You get mad when your own scripture say you call certain men. And, you know, it most, like, Cliffy come back and say, you know, your, your scripture ain't pulled to lie. And you can't alter them. If it's in there, somebody authorized to be wrote, and you've been reading it. So I'm just telling you what you should already Look at this, verse 35. He said look, and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called God's, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. In other words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, he set me apart, sanctified me and set me apart to come in the world on this assignment and therefore you get upset because I say I am, I'm God's son. You get upset because I say me and the father are. You get upset because of the things that I do to represent the Father, when you should be glorifying the things, you should recognize me for who I am because I am the Son of God. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah that you've been looking for. But instead of recognizing me as who I, for who I am, you now see me as someone less than. And instead of embracing me, you want to stone me. Look at this. He says, "No." Don't, verse 37, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's works. Then he come back and kind of clarify to make that real plain. They said, look, but if I do his works, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me. Adrian, you know exactly what he's saying. He said, Now, look, man, if you don't believe what I'm saying, just believe the work that you already. You know, I guess that's why the old people used to say, let the works I've done speak for me. Because if I start talking about it, somebody may not believe me, but let the man look like all of us should have some works that can. When you can't speak for yourself, Cliff, your works ought to. And I just dropped by on my way to heaven today just to ask you the question. Do you have some works that can speak for you? Do you have something that when someone come against you, when someone attack you, when someone accuse you, and if someone don't believe you, all they got to do is just look at you. You ain't working to be saved. You're working because you are and you ought to have some good works that is speaking, your works is a better testimony than your words. Amen. (laughs) People can see what you do and believe that you represent God quicker when they're looking at you than just listening to you. Because sometimes we can inflate ourselves when we talk. We can add too many adjectives and verbs, whatever you add know, to make yourself a little bit And sometimes our words outpace our works. So therefore, we paint this picture like I'm a, I'm a worker for the Lord, but then when it's time to do the work, you can be, not be found. What I'm trying to say, stop talking about yourself and let your... Not just in the church, but anywhere, man, on your job. You ain't got to tell your boss you all that in a bag of chips. Just do your... And do it to the best of your ability. And I guarantee you. So that's the question you got to ask both in the spiritual realm. Is your work speaking for you when it comes to God and Jesus Christ as your Savior? And is your work speaking for you in your natural? Got real quiet right there. I I hope you know, we can test this tomorrow. All you got to do, Cliff, go to the postmaster and ask the question Are my works speaking for me? He's going to say, Yeah, Cliff, because your works speak for you. Yeah. Amen. And I'll say, if you want to know, just go ask that tomorrow. Just walk in and say, I learned this yesterday. And I just want to know, I got a question Are my works speaking for me? The Holy Spirit leads you to do that. In a week from now, come back and tell me the results. I'd like to know are you, you done wrote out a lot of stuff? You got a lot of bullet points about you? But are you, I can write a whole lot about Larry Bowden. You just give me. But the question is, Cliff, and my words speaking for me. And what we got to get to the point is that if Jesus could use this, then this will work for us. This ain't just about him, it's about you. You should be following his example. And when people come against you, you ought to be saying, let my words speak for me, even if you don't believe what I'm saying about me. Everybody ain't going to believe our rhetoric, but they ought to believe our works. And you know what the good thing about works? When you got good works out there, other folk will talk about you. People will recognize the things you do in the name of the Lord. They will see that, and you don't have to pat your own self on the back. You don't have to glorify yourself. Look, God is going to make sure you get glorified for the good that you do. Tanya, I know you kind of hiding the chain out there, you know. I wonder if one of your little troops was sitting off up in here. Now, you can play them in your mind. You know who worked for you, da-da-da. And you could probably sit there and say, man, yeah, that works his work's speaking for him. This right now, it's raiding season. <laughs> I got the <to> right something. <laughs> but they works ain't ain't talking to me. Some of you, Rob, you're a supervisor. You know what that's all about. I just got off the phone the other day with my daughter. She was all pulling her hair because it's raiding season. She got to write all these things, and I wish I had this for her when she was telling me because she was whining and crying. I wish I had this to say. Look, do their work. That if their works be for them, you shouldn't be pulling your hair out because you got to write about them. So let your works be for them. He says, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Going back to that concept of being one. Now, when they heard that, they tried to arrest him again. But just like I ended last week, you know that ain't how the story. So in the midst of all these guys who want to throw rocks at him again, in the midst of all those who want to put him in jail and arrest him, the Bible don't say how he got away from it, just say he just... Adrian, now you see it? I'm not going to use my, my imagination on that. I'm just going to say the Bible says he would just walk away and nobody could touch him. Almost like he just walked through them. They just couldn't see then They just walked through, you know, you know, just. So what I'm trying to tell you today, the key thing I want you to get out of here today is that, look, you got to know his voice you got to know who the good shepherd of your life is. And when he speaks to your heart and he leads you and guides you and directs you and provides for you, then you got to be willing to submit yourself to that good shepherd and get to that relationship where you can live out that scripture and say, hey, I know him and he knows me. And so when I know him like that and we become one, then, Brother Anthony, when I see you, I see him. Amen. Amen. That's what we want to get to. We want to get to the point so when the world see us, they see Jesus. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise on the day. Hallelujah. 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 We thank God for our good shepherd. We thank God for Jesus being the good shepherd of our life. And I tell you, in these times that we're living in, you need to make sure you know his voice. Cause so there are a lot of voices out there speaking now. There are a lot of mediums out there that are speaking. And if you don't know his voice, you're going to mess around and hit something and going to hear. And that's going to be the wrong. You better be able to distinguish between and. Amen. 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 Every head bow every eye close. Every head bow every eye close. Lord, I believe you're speaking to someone's heart today, whether they're online or even in the house. If they don't know you as the partner of their sin, the source of their salvation, we make our first appeal is for salvation. Everybody needs to be in this sheepfold. Everybody needs to have Jesus as their good shepherd. So if you're here today and you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, please raise your hand, please raise your hand. If you're online, we ask you to just give us a call, 850-862-3899, hit extension 0 Someone will take your call. If you're here, you're here, and you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life. Please raise your hand. I see no hands, then I take that I all got relationship with him. And my second appeal is for church membership. If you're here and you're not a member Striving, or if you're online, and the Lord is speaking to your heart and you want to be a part of this fellowship, part of this body, please raise your hand or please give us a call here at the church. If you're here, please raise your hand. Truly it will be an honor and a privilege to have you as a part of this body if that is what the Lord is speaking to you. Truly, we will welcome you. Please raise your hand. I see one hand. Amen. If you raise your hand, look up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our ushers are going to take you and get some information from you, and I ask that Brother Tim is coming and someone else will be coming. Is Adrian, someone, Fabian. Fabian's not here today, but someone's going to get some information from you, uh, and we'll be definitely get in touch with you. So would you please go with Brother Tim at this time? Amen. I see you moving. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Again, if you're online, we just ask that you just give us a call here to church. We would love to have you be a part of this body. Amen. Amen. Then my third appeal is for a prayer. You may be here seated at your seat and you've got a prayer concern. I just ask that you realize that now that you're a part of the Good Shepherd's family, he has already given you access so you can go through that gate on your own now. You don't, you don't need a man to give you access to God now. You can get access to God on your own. Jesus died so he could rent the veil of the temple so you can have access. So in this time, if you got a prayer concern or something that is troubling your heart or something that you want to just give God praise for and thank him for, I just ask you, to allow that spirit to bring that to your mind right now. And then you lift that up to God. You may want to intercede for someone else. You may know someone else that's going through something right now, And you can pray on their behalf because the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Don't miss this opportunity to talk to your Heavenly Father. Even though it may be a brief time, sometimes the most powerful prayers in the Bible are short. Length does not equate to substance. It's what's in your heart and what the true concerns are and what your desires are praying in accordance with his will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speak to their hearts right now, God, as only you can. Speak to their spirit. Let them know that their prayers work. You said "Effective fervent prayers of the righteous avails much. So, God, I believe we got righteous people sitting in, this, in our midst today, online today. They got to know that they can intercede, even if it's just for themselves or for someone else. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you now and we make our petitions and our requests and our praise known unto you. And God, we just pray that you will incline your ear down and hear our cries, hear our pleas, hear our praise. Hear us, God, right now. And God, we trust that you're going to answer us in your own way and in your own time. So therefore, God, we thank you in advance because we know that you are God that hears and answers prayer. You said when the righteous cry out, you hear them. And so, God, we believe that we're praying from a position of righteousness because we're in right standing with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in right standing with our good shepherd. And we know that even if our prayers come up, God, and they feel like we're not what they ought to be, I believe our good shepherd is interceding on our behalf. As he's seated at your own right hand, God, I thank you and thank him for being there. And God, I just pray now that each and every person on the sound of my voice and those that are online, God, I pray that whatever their prayer concern is, whatever their praise is, whatever their needs are, that God, you will be their good shepherd. Jesus will meet their needs. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. He come to provide for us, come to protect us, and he come to make sure that we have a good life, good life to instruct us, direct us. So we just thank you for sending Jesus Christ to lead God and protect us as we journey through this life. And Father, when it's all said and done, we know that you and him are one. So in his name we pray, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise if you will.